I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, a psychoanalyst based in Sweden who works with people internationally, and this is episode 237 of Rendering Unconscious Podcasts. Today's episode is a lecture by Carl Abrahamson. He's presenting Challenging Inertia and Entropy. Carl Abrahamson is a Swedish author, publisher, and filmmaker. His books include Source Magic, Codex Nordica, Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan, Different People, The Devil's Footprint, A Culture, Mother Have a Safe Trip, and the Fenris Wolf series. His films include Reseduction, My Silent Lips, Lunacy, Sub Umbra Alarum Luna, and the Art Apart series. His publishing company is Trapar Books, Films, and Editions. As with most episodes of Rendering Unconscious, there is a video of this lecture at YouTube. Just visit Trapar Films' YouTube channel. As well, you can follow Carl at Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Vimeo. Links to everything can be found at Rendering Unconscious Made website, renderingunconscious.org. Coming up this Sunday, April 16th, we have our next Psychoanalysis Art in the Occult series live via Zoom at Morbid Anatomy Museum. It takes place at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The talk is Westworld, Anton LaVey's Total Environments, Gamification and Ghosts in the Machine, presented by Anders Lundgren, and Caligula as a Dionysian Affirmation of Life, presented by River. Carl and I will both be there hosting this event and facilitating dialogue and Q&A after the presentation. Then on Wednesday, April 26th, if you're in the area, Carl will be presenting his film on Freddy Vodling at Vesterviks Bibliotheket at 1900. There will also be a Q&A and discussion after the film. Then on Sunday, May 14th, Carl will be presenting The Uncanny in Cinema, Ingmar Bergman's Hour of the Wolf, an illustrated online lecture, live via Zoom at Morbid Anatomy Online. And join us in September as Carl and I will have a four-week course on Harnessing the Magic and Creative Power of the Cut-Up Method, a la William Burroughs, David Bowie, and Genesis Peoridge. That series is going to be Sundays starting September 10th. You can support Rendering Unconscious Podcast and all of Carl and my creative endeavors at our Patreon, patreon.com slash Vanessa23Carl. Your support is so very appreciated. Thank you so much to all of our Patreon supporters.
We know, or at least assume with certainty, that everything is in flux, movement, motion. Our senses and interpretations provide us with this data, as does our immediate memory. We also have a tendency to ascribe cyclical directions to the movements in question. Energies revolve, and life force is exactly that, a revolving force that helps or initiates further movement. On very tangible levels, most of us have seen, heard of, or perhaps experienced that death means exactly the opposite, a lack of force and thereby movement. And immediately that that process sets in, new energies are set in motion to decompose the formerly so alive vehicle or body. So, in a sense, there is no real stasis, even in death. In the history and mythology of magic, terms like energy and direction have always been essential. It seems that extroverted and directed energy set in motion by will is the common denominator in all systems, schools and traditions. Even mystical systems, schools and traditions are involved in the very same thing. Only here, the direction of the energy has been changed, going inwards instead of outwards into the cosmos. Can we then simplify and say that magic is A, a knowledge of the energies in question, and B, a harnessing of these so that they can be directed as willed? I think so. Most of what we can see in the history of magic is schematically the same. There may be different names and motivations and degrees of complexity, but still, we're talking about consciously willed use of what already exists within and around us. But what happens when routine sets in, lack of motivation and will? When a formally effective ritual turns into a dutiful ceremony? When a formally pleasing situation turns into mere run-of-the-mill, diluted experience? And when an organism merely exists, apparently without meaning? Here's where and when we encounter the terms entropy and inertia. They always set in, sooner or later, perhaps as a necessary movement of decay before an actual decomposition, or, if we're lucky, as an eye-opener, an instigator for change. When we are alive and somewhat conscious, we can make decisions about the direction of these energies. That's a beautiful trademark of what it means to be a human being. But still, far too many humans accept defeat, decay, and decomposition far too easily, although it's not at all necessary. Entropy is a term that comes from thermodynamics and means, very simplified, energy that is isolated, unconnected, non-moving. Following the second law of thermodynamics, entropy of an isolated system always increases, this is not exactly the same as stasis, in which everything is still, but signifies energy that is contained and thereby not creating heat anymore. Inertia is also a term borrowed from classical physics, and, again simplified, means that a thing continues in its motion and direction. A kind of unwillingness to change, or an inability to change. 
many people suffer from entropic states as well as from states of inertia. And sometimes these can be found in combination. For instance, in someone who is self-contained and therefore just keeps moving in the same direction. This situation might just as well be called a lonely force of habit. And of course, this phenomenon can also exist in groups or societies. One way of angstfully repressing and approaching inertia and entropy is by positional rigidity, meaning that the person in question sticks with what was once meaningful and valuable to him or her, and gradually devalues everything else. This process can be seen in any kind of fundamentalism, as the views and perspectives become more and more narrow in the glorification of the safe haven that perhaps once provided a necessary fuel for a continual personal development. Any kind of fundamentalism is always a sign of inertia and entropy on the individual level. On the larger scale, though, active mindlessness and active obedience from the, for instance, religious or political parts can greatly vitalize the larger group, entity, or even state, but it's still fed by elements of individual inertia and entropy. I believe that the individual has the power to change things, and that collectives are essentially void of power unless there is one individual perspective that is commonly or communally backed up. That said, an individual could then potentially change an entire collective or organization suffering from inertia and entropy. But that is sadly more of an exception than a rule. So, when does inertia and entropy set in? I'm sure a million answers could be given, but one of the most relevant, relevant answers could be when the will to change on one's own terms becomes subservient to personal comfort, relying on ideals and systems based on other people's authority and inherent responsibility. So, how does creativity fit into this puzzle? It's not as simple as saying that all you have to do to break a force of habit is start painting or write a poem. That can surely be therapeutic for some, but also constitutes a kind of escapism if you're not really inclined to paint or write. Everything begins with an idea, and all ideas come from somewhere. Regardless of whether it's immediate solutions to everyday problems, big inspirational waves, or the Big Bang of a Holy Guardian Angel encounter, the blooming of an idea is probably the most joyful and potentially habit-breaking phenomenon we experience in life. If we allow ourselves to generalize, we can say that there are four main instigating moments. The first one being stillness. Stillness as we know it in meditation or hypnagogic states. The second one being sidetracking or diversion, as we know it from those moments when we look for something forgotten and temporarily leave that frustrated train of thought. The third one being transgression, which is a more forceful variant of number two and means being aware of something that lacks an idea and yet working on something completely different, for instance, something diametrical. 
the fourth one being the third mind. In conversation and troubleshooting with others, the creative feedback generated and shared can make unforeseen ideas manifest, as if a third creative party or mind were present. It seems that ideas are not very likely to appear when pulled, but rather they want to push themselves. Quite a beautiful symbol. And this is elegantly conceptualized in Taoism by the method or attitude of Wu Wei, Wu Wei, confusingly translated as doing by not doing. This means basically working away at something, but not overzealously or with too big a pulling effort. In a way, to not attach too great a rational energy to whatever needs doing. The resulting pleasant work mode is today usually called a flow. Both inertia and entropy are hard nuts to crack. One requires a nudge or perhaps a smack and the other a break of isolation. It seems then that number three, transgression, would be the most appropriate method for both. Not only is it challenging, challenging to do something that is not you, it most definitely sets things free within you. A chaos generator, if you will. And this in no way means that you should go against your, your own will for the sake of it, but rather look at it as a technique that makes you more aware of what your will actually consists of. Because true will is never embedded in inertia or a static position. It changes along the years, just like, like your own physical organism or vehicle does. There is a light that never goes out, of course, a center of your universe, but it's very important to keep questioning yourself and your motives in this process, because the processes of yesteryear are not the same as the present ones. And if you cling dogmatically to what was once magical, you are likely to suffer from inertia and an entropic state of mind which, in a worst-case scenario, can bring dogmatism or fundamentalism. Originally, I had in mind to not mention Alistair Crowley or Thelema at all in this lecture. That in itself was quite a huge challenge. Perhaps it's a form of entropy to always have to rely on good old Uncle Alistair in a Thelemic setting. In a way, I believe that's actually true. However, when we're on this subject, there is such a brilliant example of this attitude I've touched upon in one of Crowley's greatest and most entertaining texts. I'm referring to a piece in Conks on Pax, with possibly the greatest title ever, The Synagogue of Satan. Basically, this text is a humorous display of practical advice based on what we can call diametrical dynamics. Meaning that if you're prone to or compulsive in one kind of behavior, you need to at least try the exact opposite in order to break any kind of entropic or stagnant state of mind or lifestyle. In another way of putting it, to eventually unite the opposites, energized by the transcending or transgressive movement. The real title of the text is Tian Tao, 
This is interesting that this philosophical treatise hints at Taoism, as does the text in itself in many ways. Kongs and Pax was first published in 1907, 11 years before Crowley's major Taoist enlightenment on Esopus Island on the Hudson River, which was so overwhelming that he, the very Logos of Logoria, couldn't express what he had experienced properly, probably the first and last time of his life. But there was a reason for the Taoist presence. The year before, in 1906, Crowley had spent time in China and was well acquainted with both the Tao Te King and other Chinese classics. The story is very simple. A sage, Kuo, as probably in Kuo Li, uh, we can assume, uh, gives good advice to a comfort zone inclined ruler. Everyone in his ruling classes is recommended to go in an opposite direction for two months each year. Quote, there are men who make a fetish of cleanliness. They shall work in a fitter's shop and learn that dirt is the mark of honorable toil. There are those whose lives are rendered wretched by the fear of infection. They see bacteria of the deadliest sort in all things but the actual solutions of carbolic acid and mercuric chloride, with which they hysterically combat their invisible foemen. Such would I send to live in the bazaar at Delhi, where they shall happily learn that dirt makes little difference after all. There are slow men who need a few months' experience of the hustle of the stockyards. There are businessmen in a hurry, and they shall travel in Central Asia to acquire the art of repose." End quote. Crowley also wrote that the text, this text, quote, gives my solution to the main ethical and philosophical problems of humanity with a description of the general method of emancipating oneself from the obsession of one's own ideas. End quote. This is pretty radical, I think, for a Crowley post-liberal reception, but pre any major liberal analyses, and it ties in pretty well with what I've touched upon. Namely, that any situation, moment or face will turn to inertia and entropy if not eventually challenged and kept in motion, so to speak. The force of habit is enormous in the human psyche and the greatest compensation of all ills and weaknesses is seeking comfort. I'm not saying everyone has to go completely crazy from time to time and oppose their own wills. That's absolutely not point. But sometimes it's best to give oneself an active wake-up call rather than to receive it from someone or something else. So again, how does creativity help in all of this? Does everyone need to try their hand at painting like Crowley actually did? Of course not. I'm not saying that art in itself is the key to this, but creativity is. No matter which field you work and perhaps occasionally get stuck in, being creative is always an option. This means sometimes taking some time off, standing back, looking at things from a new perspective, outside of the box, as people say nowadays. In a mind frame completely diametrical to what you're used to, new things appear. These things and insights can then be applied to your normal life and work. That's being creative. An artist, an artist is used to being inside associative mind frames and intuitive flows. 
but that does not in any way imply a perfect mental health or balance. Even artists or traditionally creative people can be victims of inertia and entropy, and they often are. They should allow a new method which is rational, strict, divided, stratified, etc., to see what comes out of that. Perhaps nothing at all, but the mere jolt of looking at the world with new glasses should bring plenty of insights to integrate in their own creative process. Most of us, even devoted magicians, are stressed human being ants, going from here to there and often forgetting to stop at times and evaluate. The contemporary human being needs a huge dose of stillness and quietude to be able to even focus a thought or two. And focus, we should always keep in mind, is not the same as single-mindedness. Meditation and yoga are invaluable in this regard, as is sleep, of course, and being in nature, where chi is flowing freely. The stillness and silence most of us desperately need should, of course, not be confused with either inertia or entropy. Balance never means passivity. Although the physical system may temporarily shut down, the inner meditations may drift in active flights of fancy, or, if the meditation is actually totally still, deeper strata will be activated and leak messages and ideas to the higher strata. This could be called an ultra-creative state. As mentioned before, everything we create in any field of life stems from ideas, and ideas come from somewhere. And when you find that link, use it well. You can't force ideas to appear, and if you can, you're probably too advanced for us here. Even in the magical process, there is an analogy to this. Once the seed of will has been sown in ritual, it's always best to focus on something completely different, to let it bloom in peace. Great ideas usually pop up like flowers when you're not thinking about the problem or challenge in question. It's almost as if it's a force that needs to be rerouted to appear. It should push itself from the inside and out and not be pulled from the outside. If there are signs of fundamentalism or demagogic stagnancy in someone or something, you can rest assured it's a matter of inertia and or entropy. If no one or nothing challenges this, sooner or later a crisis point will emerge in which a kind of death occurs and decomposition sets in. My suggested remedies, as those from Crowley and many others, is simply to stay aware of these mechanisms and keep them at bay with continual personal challenges. Of course, the same attitude should be encouraged in group dynamics too. All of this sounds simple, but in real life it is very hard indeed to not succumb to the already known and comfortable. The more we think about that, the more painful it usually becomes. It's wrong to be specific on a personal level when it comes to other people. Every man and every woman is a star, etc. Pointing the finger at someone else is usually a blunt camouflage of one's own inadequacies. And the same goes for groups of people. If there are no challenges within the group structure 
to develop on an individual level, one should cock a very critical eye towards possible ulterior collectivisms, which are always unthelemic by definition. There is a lovely book called The Tao or The Tao of Art by Ben Willis that I can strongly recommend for those who are interested in these dusty and abstracted topics. Now, I would like to end this talk by quoting from that book. It sort of sums it up and even hints at our own cherished proto-mysteries. That is, if mysteries can actually belong to one specific entity. Quote, Every act of true creativity is the utilization of Tao energy and of the Tao nature which is inherent in the intuitive mind and foundational being of man. Indeed, such creativity is indistinguishable from that spiritual mind and from the Tao, for they are one and of the same substance and nature. The creative force is the energy and flow of life. It is life itself. End quote. Thank you very much for tuning in. See you next time. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a talk by Carl Abrahamson. For more, visit his website, carlabrahamson.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-B-R-A-H-A-M-S-S-O-N.com. And follow him on social media. Links to everything can be found in the liner notes of this episode, as well as at Rendering Unconscious main website, renderingunconscious.org. For links to our Morbid Anatomy event series, Psychoanalysis, Art, and the Occult, visit psychartcult.org or morbidanatomy.org slash events. We have events coming up on April 16th and then on May 14th. And join us this autumn, beginning September 10th, for a four-week course on harnessing the magic and creative power of the cut-up method. You can also check out previous episodes of Rendering Unconscious Podcast with Carl, Episode 28, Carl and I discuss the book, Rendering Unconscious. Episode 82 is a lecture panel that Carl gave with visual anthropologist Ethan Clark at our second Psychoanalysis Art in the Occult Conference, Rewriting the Future, 100 Years of Esoteric Modernism and Psychoanalysis. You can also hear lectures by Carl, Episode 7, This is lecture from our first Psychoanalysis Art in the Occult Conference in London called Formulating the Desired Similarities Between Psychoanalysis and Ritual Magic. Episode 44, Carl presents Intuition as a State of Grace. Episode 118, he presents Carl Jung, Myth Maker. Episode 133, the magic of dreams made real. Rendering Unconscious episode 154, Carl presents on the Temple of Psychic Youth. 161 is Carl's presentation on Anton LaVey as Magical Innovator. Episode 179 
is called We're on the Road to Somewhere, Carl's Lecture on Pilgrimage, and episode 204, Reconnecting with the Anima Mundi. Carl did create the introduction and outro music for Rendering Unconscious Podcast. And now, a song behind the behind from Carl's album, The Larval Stage of a Bookworm, available at Bandcamp. All music from Highbrow Lowlife's Bandcamp page is free download, name your price. So enjoy. Thank you. 